Welcome to the NOLA Podcast. I'm your host, Rue. This episode, Terrence Osborne, an acclaimed artist and native New Orleanian. We talk life, art, and the heart of the N.O. As always, Bugash has the interview. My man, take it away. Yeah, I, I appreciate you doing this. Oh yeah, man. You know, I think that you are a very, you're a very important artist, and of your of, of your age, of this stage of where we are. I mean, you are out in the front, really doing amazing work and uh, being able to be critically acclaimed and commercially successful as as a young brother doing your thing. I mean, the community is always cheering on, and I'm always excited when people talk about you and what it is that you do. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I'm enjoying myself. That's for me. That's the biggest thing. As long as I'm enjoying myself, then my work turns out well and people enjoy that I'm enjoying myself because you can tell in the work, you know, Um, I think that's what people are responding to. It's almost like a a sort of call and response. You know, I I feed off the energy of the city and of the people and then they I I create give it to them they give it back to me so it's, I love it right so and it's interesting that you you sort of uh, you, you walk right into what I'd like to start talking with you about mm-hmm. because there are people who obviously know who you are there are some who don't and so for our audience with the uh, NOLA podcast who is Terrence Osborne how did you get started in the visual arts and just talk about your style of, of art well I, my mom did art as a hobby when I was a boy so I picked it up from her um, now at the time my mom just to give a contrast my mom was trying to buy a house for about and currently I sell originals for that price so that really puts it in perspective for me Um, so no I'm a New Orleans boy I'm born and raised here you know I, I love the city Basically, basically grew up feeding off the culture. Um, went to NOCA, New Orleans Center for Creative Arts. Is, if anybody is is any is is talented and successful, most likely they went to, to NOCA. NOCA grooms artists of every type. Um, then I met a guy named Richard Thomas when I was in middle school or high school rather, who took me under his wing. Richard Thomas is a local successful artist here as well. Just done a few jazz fest posters and all. Um, nationally recognized so he I was his assistant for years he taught me just about everything he knew and uh, from there I graduated uh, and then went to Xavier University right here in Mid-City and started selling my work really started selling my work in high school really Um, and then I got off the ground with things where I really started making the profit from my artwork once I got to college. Um, and it's it's funny because there are artists that I've always looked up to in the city, like like Richard Thomas. Uh, there's then there's James Michalopoulos, who's who's another artist who does a lot of color right. houses and all. And then there's George Rodrigue. George Rodrigue. Um, he's the guy, the blue dog guy, you know, that, that artist, of course, that his image is that blue dog is recognized all over the world. So by the time I was a senior in college, I was mentioned in the same breath as those guys, you know, so I felt like 
I was being received pretty well. And it was, you know, of course, that's an honor, just the guys I look up to, to be able to be, be talked about in, you know, the same light. Um, uh, but but it's, it's been good, though. I, I, I opened my gallery just about almost four years ago. And I, I avoided opening it at first uh, for years just because my kids were young, you know. Right. And I really wanted to, before I dove into the gallery business, I really wanted to make sure that my kids got the attention that they needed, you know. Um, oftentimes we just, you know, we do a nine to five and our kids suffer because of it. So if I have the opportunity to do it, I, you know, I wanted to do it. But also, you know, I, there's no way I could tell my story without including my wife in it. You know, my wife has been my business partner for years, and she was doing business before I was. You know, I actually learned a lot of things from her. You know, she's, she, I, I've always been the yes man. <laughs> and, you know, that's, right. and that's, that's, it's worked out for me, but it also, you know, with every characteristic, every characteristic that you have, there's the downside to it, you know, so I, I would get taken advantage of. Well, she was basically, she knew how to say no. You know, so so that's why she started off doing business well, um, almost to protect us. Um, and so in that that's how we worked for years. And I did the artwork. She did the business. Uh, but after a while, she started to miss her own voice. And she so she started doing her thing with meditation and yoga and all. And eventually I. I started adding business aspects to it. And now that I can't, you know, it's like, I don't know if you've seen that, that movie, um, the James Brown movie. Yes. Um, get on up. Um, that movie was phenomenal because James Brown illustrated that idea that you, you are the show and the business. That was the first time I, was, I saw somebody do that on the big screen, you know. It was, it was, so that movie was phenomenal. It's inspirational. I do the art, but I do the business too. And uh, I know where I am in my career. I'll, I'll never be one of those artists who looks back and says, you know, I was... I didn't realize where I was. You know. To shout out your wife. Now, your wife's name is? Stephanie. So, Stephanie Osborne. And most recently, you have been recognized for your your pandemic series. Talk a little bit about, about that, like being an artist during a pandemic and the significance of this particular series at these critical times for not just our nation, but for the world. Yeah, well, definitely, you know, especially for artists during the pandemic, it's been particularly hard because artists have to be seen. And, you know, if you're not associated with a gallery, then... You, it's hard enough for you to be seen as, as an artist. Um, so what I did was, um, even though I owned my gallery at the time when the pandemic hit, I, I did what I was doing before. I, I used social media and that's so important for an artist to be seen. Social media is free. You can do your work, advertise it. Um, even social media ads. For for artists, I mean, like right now, social media ads are not that costly. I mean, you know, you can take out $100 on an ad and get a lot of attention and a lot of sales from that. Um, during the pandemic, I, I saw that the nurses and the doctors and bus drivers, um, you know, people on the front lines right. and the service industry as well, 
they they were doing such a great job of keeping us all safe and i wanted to honor them so i did this piece called frontline it's it's a tribute to the painting um uh, rosie the riveter painting <clears throat> and it's of a lady you know the, the from world war Two, i believe it is yeah. uh lady lady um making a you know, making her fist holding her muscle up muscle up and it's, right. so he, he, i took that image and I made prints of it and donated over 5,000 of them to the frontline workers in the hospitals and around the country as well. And that piece basically went viral. So I've been selling them at actually at a discounted rate since since the pandemic, since I did it, uh, really. So um, yeah, and I still donate some too. So that's so you know so the, so I guess the lesson to be learned from it all is. You know, when the when something like a pandemic hits for an artist, the best thing to do is to use that subject matter to use the use the the pain, use the the uh, trauma, or, or or even the beauty from whatever is going on. Make that your your content. Make make some art. You know, basically produce because artists are we're basically in in a way we're like historians, right? Because it's our job to whatever's going on for us to tell that story you know so that's basically what i did just told the story about what was going on and that's a good way for for artists to survive during something that's that's as tough as a pandemic our conversation with terence osborne continues after these brief messages this week's episode was brought to you in part by Mr. Chell's First Class Cuts, located at 2734 South Carrollton Avenue, is the premier barbershop in the city of New Orleans. Founded by the iconic Wilbur, Mr. Chell Wilson, it continues to be the place where one can receive first class service. So today call 504-861-7530 to make an appointment. Mr. Chell's First Class Cuts, continuing the tradition of excellence in service and giving back to the community. Now back to our interview with acclaimed artist, Terrence Osborne. That's interesting you mentioned that and uh, because again I want to go back to talking about the fact that you are again critically acclaimed and commercially successful and and how you balance that is uh, especially being being a black artist um, you know raised in Treme, right? And uh, and how does that work in terms of a striking a balance as far as creating what you create while understanding that you do have an audience for a particular style that you have come to be known for? Yeah, as far as being an artist, a uh, black artist, you know, we we've always as artists, we've always been categorized, right? If you look in in a book on history, you'll find artwork and then you'll find black artwork you know the black black history or black artists uh, section and so we've in that sense we've been marginalized as if we are some type of um separate section but we're we're american artists and um there's no need to separate us so i've i've always kept that in mind so when i when i produce my art um sometimes you can't tell if i'm a black artist or a white artist or asian or whatever you just you yeah it's my my race isn't um as easily identifiable um now with most of them they are but 
I, I've, I play with that idea so that I'm not boxed in. Understand. Right? Yeah. Um, and 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 that's that's worked for me because there's a certain freedom in doing that, you know. Um, so it, it and it throws people off too, you know. And oftentimes, that when people come into my art gallery, they say, "Oh, I I love this artist's work" because they don't know it's me. And then <laughs> I tell them, I tell them it's me, and they're like, "Oh, I, I didn't know that you were so young." Like they'll say something like that. I didn't right. know that you were. Yeah, I know what they mean, you know. But um, <laughs> they just they they don't say that at first because what they're expecting is for me to look like um, some of the successful artists, like James Michalopoulos and like George Rodriguez. They expect me to look like I'm, uh, you know, sixty, seventy year old white man. Um, <laughs> but but uh, it's it's funny. It's it's a trip, man. Yeah, man. The thing about it is um, that's, that in terms of just being fully human, I, I think that as a successful black artist, and I do think that sometimes artists do, I would agree, that they box themselves in. And I think that they don't really think about that they could draw from their black experience and put something out that's fully human as well as just exploring non-racial themes and that yes. is something that can kind of draw people into and particularly being from a place like New Orleans that is such a, a melting pot anyway and people are just interested in New Orleans regardless of the, the racial origin if you will of the person yeah. who create the work so I would like to kind of talk about you know so people because people need to know that you have done posters you have done partnerships with Nike and others so talk about just the body of, of work as far as uh, the commission works as well as just some of the other works that you have created over the years yeah well a lot of my pieces have to do with um, the culture in the city right I, I call myself a cultural um, see the best way to say it um, more like a, a culture producer that's that would be the closest thing uh, so what happens is if if companies come to to me like nike and like heineken nba uh just to name a few they they come to me because my work represents a culture that they want to uh project right so like my my job job with heineken heineken is a dutch beer they they have nothing to do with uh, American roots but Heineken came here and said we want a piece that is gonna appeal to people in New Orleans so I, I ended up doing a piece for them and they used it right um, so it, it's I I like the idea that that they come to me for culture and I mean the fact that I can basically create something that is naturally a part of me like I don't have to you know I I'm my work is all New Orleans so I don't have to think about what I'm gonna create I, there's a there's so much content in New Orleans that I have tons of things to pick from right but it but it's 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 not just that I'm looking at it and and mimicking the culture it's that I'm producing what I already know you know this is my culture is is in me, so I, I give them what they're they're looking for. Right now, you did um, just the, the festival poster, like several of those. Yeah. Talk about about those particular pieces. Yeah, so the jazz festival poster is basically um, the most most uh, well recognized and the highest grossing festival poster in the world. So if you get the poster, it's a huge honor, and 
if your poster does well, then you they'll call you to do it again. So I've done five posters so far. The first one was called Rebirth. It's you know the the it's from the band Rebirth, of course, and it's Philip Philip Fraser,、um, who is the leader of Rebirth. The second one was Uncle Lionel, or on the street, Uncle Lionel. <laughs> right. Yeah, we, yeah. we know Uncle Lionel.、Uh, Basically, Uncle yeah. Lionel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>、um, and so you know, he was the he was the、uh, the bass drummer for for Tremé Brass Band.、Um, he called himself the Timekeeper. <laughs> he used to wear he used to wear his watch on his on his on his wrist, but his、uh, his hand. And、uh, asked him why he did that. He said, "Cause I, because I know what time it is." <laughs> funny, funny guy.、Um, but it was that. So that piece was to honor him. After that, there was a trombone shorty, one called per- Porch Song, where where Shorty's on the porch, leaning back, you know,、uh, blowing his horn. That that is my probably my most successful one out of all five. After that, it was.、Um, The、um, Preservation Jazz Band. After that, so from Preservation Jazz Hall, the final one is Fats Domino,、um, the Great Fats Domino. So yeah, the, so the posters have done done well,、um, and it's been an honor doing them. So yeah, the, those out of I guess out of all of my work, those those posters are probably the most popular. You know, you get. World recognition when you do the posters, so yeah, it's it's a huge honor. Right now, you have、um, now because you've mentioned something about about just the state of art more generally, and because New Orleans is again a、um, creative、um, plethora of talent. What do you? What is your take on the current state of、uh, the creative community? In New Orleans, yeah, you know, I I have to be honest,、um, I I'm not really associated with the uh, the uh, creative or the art community necessarily in in the city. I've always run run in my own circles, but even doing that, I there are things that I notice about the community. I do know that the artists that are are creating. It, it seems like we're leaning more toward color, right? There was a time when things were a little more muted. Now, New Orleans has always been colorful. I'm not saying that there's that it hasn't been. What I'm saying is that the color has gotten more extreme. You know,、um, we've we've gone from if speaking about fruit, we've gone from figs to preserves. You know, it's richer,、uh, you know, heavier. The, the colors are more bold and expressive, so I do notice that about the community. Now, also, it's it's divided too. The art community is it is divided culturally. You have Uptown, which is、um, um, thinking Julia Street. Julia Street has the more more quote unquote upscale galleries, and、um, their stuff might not be as colorful. I can I think because they might not be as tied into the culture. I think they're looking in、uh, other places, maybe to mimic New York and things like that.、Um, that's what they're doing. But if you go in the French Quarter, then on Royal Street you have the galleries. Everything's really colorful and, and full of full of culture. Every all the tourists want New Orleans, so they want to take a piece of New Orleans with them. So that I think the French Quarter appeals to the.、Uh, 
the culture more. And then there are pockets of, of spaces around the city as well that have galleries that appeal. Because I mean, I'm uptown, but I'm not necessarily tied to tied to Julia. Because you did mention your audience is global, and New Orleans is such a global city. What is it that people who you encounter from around the globe ask you about New Orleans, and in turn, when you are speaking to people from around the globe about New Orleans and what it represents, what what are those conversations like? So they want to know what's authentic New Orleans culture. That, those are probably the biggest questions. So they want to know what the food you know is is like a beignet a typical new orleans food um you know and, and it's it's funny telling them because no we don't i don't know anyone in the city who actually makes beignets you know but that's it's been popularized you know it's like i guess it's the equivalent of saying hey man uh when you're going to jamaica they don't really say that right. you know but they they play it up for for the tourists um but I think that the tourists recognize that New Orleans is a beautiful city and that it hasn't changed. Even Katrina and some of the other storms, uh, all the things that we've gone through, we've remained timeless um, or, or fixed in a certain time. If that's, that might be a better uh, better analogy. So they want to sample our culture. That's what they're looking for. So when they walk in the gallery, they're like, they're literally taking a piece of New Orleans with them. And in turn, when, when you talk about what you represent as an artist, as a citizen, as a person of New Orleans, who is telling these stories about the city, what is it that essentially is the main theme as far as what is Terrence Osborne? What's his statement? Yeah. Well, you know, my my biggest thing is that um, that New Orleans has a affectionate culture, right? We we greet each other, you know, we we hug each other. It's you know, I I often tell some of my customers who come in that if you're walking down the street, if you if you live in the city and you walk down the street, the locals will speak to you. If you if you give yourself a, a, a three block walk, you'll have at least two locals speaking to you. So Pete, we we speak here, you know, we 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 embrace one another. It's I think that in a lot of places there there's a sort of barrier that you have to break through in order to get to know people. Um, but we don't seem to have that. We think of everyone as family. And so I project that when when I'm producing my work, you know, I, I try to embrace my viewer. I want my viewer to feel comfortable and welcomed. And that's that's the thing that I I project the most when I'm working. So. And finally, because we are a city of so much flavor on so many levels. Mm -hmm. What is Terrence Osborne's recipe for a great life? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know that, and that's a very good question. the The biggest thing is that you do what you love. That that's my theme song for my life. Doing what you love solves every problem, right? Um, if you have a, if you're doing what you love, then you never have to worry about working a job that you're unhappy with and then you you're you're unhappy at your job you also go home and you're unhappy because you you don't spend time at home at, with having family time um you know you you're not doing what 
what your your inner voice is telling you. That to me, ignoring your inner voice is like suicide. You you have to do what you love in order to speak your language. Um, it's like it's almost like silencing yourself if you don't do what you love. Now, and I know that that's a, that may be a huge call for some people. You know, because it, it's like how, how many people would just say, you know, what, I'm just gonna quit my job and do what I what I want. I mean, you you're gonna have some trouble if you do. I, but Oprah said that if you what you have to do is something toward what you really want to do every day, no matter how small it is, do one little thing toward what you really want to do. Eventually, you will be doing what you really want to do. So that's that is golden to me. And Terrence, I really appreciate you taking the time out to uh, talk to the people who are listening to the NOLA podcast. Keep doing what you're doing. We would love to talk to you again. Thanks for having me, Edwin. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Terrence Osborne. You can find more about him and his art at TerrenceOsborne.com. Please subscribe to get the next episode of the Nova Podcast. For my man Bugaj, I'm you. Peace.